God is of no use to you as a rock unless you're willing to flee to him, to find yourself enwrapped in him, protected by him. You must run to him and hide in him. The only way that you and I win, and ultimately the only reason that David won, was because Christ was and is a rock and a refuge who sought out the destruction of our enemies. Thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Presbyterian Church Weekly Podcast. We're glad you joined us. Trinity is a member congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America and the Acts 29 Network. We are located in Owasso, Oklahoma. Follow us at trinityowasso.com. Also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trinity Owasso. Here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna read this Psalm like we read with scripture all the time. It is a Psalm of David. But it, it very well could be a psalm as if Jesus himself wrote it. Now we know that God is the author of all scripture, so in one way, Jesus did write it. But even Jesus, as both fully God and fully man, as I read it, hear his voice in this. So Psalm 18, hear now the word of the Lord. Oh, and I didn't mention, you guys have these inserts with the scripture on it because it's 50 verses, okay? We're going to read it three times. (laughs) To the choir master, a Psalm of David the servant of the Lord who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. 
He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water, out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend the bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. 
I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. And those who hated me, I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder what it was like for David to express this. These are not merely words on a page. They come from the experience of his life. It would almost be for those of you who might be in your 40s or 50s or even early 60s, to sit down and write an autobiography in 50 verses. There's so much here. And this week, as I, as I read this psalm many times, not only in the ESV, but a lot of different other translations, what I found myself doing was continuing to read it with the same maybe zippiness that it's written in. Zippiness is probably the wrong word. Here's the, here's the sentiment. While our daughter was at, at, uh, in Florida with youth this past week, my son, who is uh, a Harry Potter fanatic, after reading a while back, all of seven of the Harry Potter books, he watched the last two movies. And 
we, we watched the first one and a half with him. He watched the last of the second one by himself. And he goes, man, those are short movies. I said, I don't think so. I said, they may seem short, but if you add them up, it's like four hours and 45 minutes worth of movies. And he goes, well, it didn't seem like that. That's the, the feeling I get from this song is you finish reading it and go, that didn't seem like 10 minutes because it pulls you in. And that leads us in, here's, I want to look at three things. This psalm is really long. We could spend 50 weeks on it. And so how do you, how do you make a psalm like this and say, how do we summarize it in such a way that's for our, our benefit? We're going to look at three things. The first is we're going to look at the intensely personal nature of this psalm. The second is we're going to look at God as a rock. And then the third thing is we're going to look at God as a refuge. So the personal nature of the psalm, God is a rock and God is a refuge. So first, this psalm is intensely personal. On your little half sheet or in your Bible, take a look at it. We, we, we gain an insight into that just in the inscription to verse 1. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the, on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. This was a momentous day for the, for the new King David. He wrote this on the day he was delivered from the hand of the previous king who had been trying to kill him and his family for a long time. And this is what David writes. So we see the personal nature in the inscription, but we also see this in the language used. Did you notice the pronouns that were used? Sometimes in the Psalms, you have plural pronouns, like we, us, and ours first-person plural pronouns. Do you know how many times that happened in this psalm? One time. It happened in verse 31. For who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? So one time do we have first-person plural. Do you know how many times we have first-person singular? Whether that's I or me or my? Exactly 100 times. First person singular. David is writing it about him. There are many psalms that are written about us, about the church. And while the psalm certainly applies to the church, when David wrote this psalm, he was writing it from a place as this is the day that he's delivered, and it's intensely personal talking about his enemies 
in his God, in his struggle. And we also see this intensely personal character and how vivid the struggle is. Look, look at verses four and five with me. Here's how the ESV, the English Standard Version, translates it. It says, the cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. That's a great translation. But one of the problems with, I would say, many English translations of the Psalms and the Proverbs is they don't retain either the pop or the pithiness. If you look at commentaries and read different commentators, they will acknowledge that most English versions of the Psalms lose their pop, and most English versions of the Proverbs lose their pithiness. Almost a smart aleck type of character, but in a godly way. I want to read from you read for you what um, the, the way the message translates this. And of course, the message is not a one-for-one -one translation, but it's trying to retain uh, the emphasis of verses four and five. Here's what it says. The hangman's noose was tight at my throat. Devil waters rushed over me. Hell's ropes cinched me tight. Death traps barred every exit. It's kind of a different picture, isn't it? Maybe it's because I'm dense. Maybe it's because I'm not as well, as well read as I'd like to be. But when I read it in the ESV, cords of death encompass me. My mind doesn't really picture much. Torrents of destruction Maybe you think about flooding. Cords of Sheol entangled me. I don't know. I'm thinking about rope that you get at Home Depot. I don't, I don't really know. The snares of death confronted me. But when we, have, when we hear the hangman, hangman's noose is tied at my throat, devil waters rush over me, hell's rope cinched me tight, and then death traps barred my exit. They barred every exit. What we see in this is this vividness of the struggle that David underwent against Saul. Saul was pursuing him, and David was either in battle or David was running from Saul. The intensity and the personalness of this is easily lost unless we kind of pause. You want us to ask the question, why does it matter that this psalm is intensely personal? Why does it matter? You know, the Lord is called many things in this psalm. If you look at verses one and two, just going in order, he's called strength, rock, fortress, deliverer, shield, horn of salvation, stronghold. He's called all of those things. 
Why does it matter that this psalm is intensely personal? Because it does no good to you if this isn't also personal to you. God is not just merely called strength, rock, fortress. He is called my strength, my rock, my fortress. So it doesn't help you if you read this and it's not applying to you. If you think, well, yeah, he is, you know, Will's strength. He is Sally's rock. He is the Apostle Paul's fortress. Well, he's my parents' refuge. He's my grandparents' shield. It's my wife's horn of salvation or my husband's stronghold. The intensely personal language of the psalm is drawing you in and begging you to make this language your own. So that it's not merely just God is a rock, a fortress, strength, a deliverer, but he is my rock my fortress, my strength, my deliverer, my shield. That's why it matters. That's why it matters that this is intensely personal. Because if he is not your rock and your refuge, then after verses one and two, the rest of it is just mere academic. But if it, he is your rock and your refuge, then for the rest of the psalm, we see how that's applied. And that brings us to our next point. The Lord is your rock and is my rock. The psalm starts with this concept. And it reinforces it in the middle and it ends with it. So. I want to walk you through this. Um, the, first, the first place we find it is in verse 2. Twice it says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. Then we have it in the middle, in verse 31, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God. So a little bit of a shift in the language, who is a rock except our God? The answer, of course, is no one. That's who the psalmist David has in mind. Of course, no one is a rock. And then in verse 46, 46 through 50 kind of serves as a doxology to the psalm. And in that, Verse 46, it says, the Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. There are many times in Scripture that God is called a rock. What's in view? What does it mean? The Hebrew word for rock here, tsur, 
It means, most specifically, a cleft in the mountain, a place for security and refuge. I was talking to one of my kids about this last night, talking about this psalm. They were asking, you know, what are you, what are you preaching on? And I said, Psalm 18. And I said, it's really long. And I think the response was, oh, great. <laughs> well, what's it about? And I said, well, it's about God as our rock and our refuge. And maybe because I'm so... Maybe it's because maybe it's because I'm so godly, but actually not. Maybe it's because I'm so ingrained in like a Christian evangelical whatever. Then when I hear a rock, I think of something very specific, and I, it doesn't occur to me, hey, what would other people think about that? And what one of my kids brought up was, God's a, a rock right? Like, what might be in some of your driveways? Would I throw at my sibling? That's just, that's strange. What, what, why would God call himself that? I thought, oh yeah, that probably needs some explanation. Because I, it's not really, the scripture's not saying here, and you know this, it's not saying God is the pebble in your driveway. The rock here, it is. It's kind of a cleft, a holdout area in a mountain where you go for safety. It's not even like we, in, this is used in the New Testament. We sing it, right? On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That was even in the passage from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, that I read earlier. You know, you build your house on the rock. That's, that's kind of talking about bedrock, right? Something solid and firm. You don't have to worry about that structure moving, right? Well, that's biblical. That's a biblical idea. What's conveyed here is a mountain and a cleft in that mountain for security and refuge. And if God's a rock, what David is asking in verse 31, and who is a rock except our God? In other words, where else can I go and hide but in him? I think it's very interesting that God is, he doesn't provide a rock, he is. He's not saying a man-made defense tower. Or here are instructions for that. But that God himself is a rock. And we, I think we really get this just naturally. Like this is a spiritual principle, but we see it applied naturally as well. But because of this reason, for instance, do you know who knows that a God-made structure is a lot better than a man-made structure? The U.S. government. 
Here's why. Because early in the Cold War, the US government said, hey, you know what? Um, let's use this giant rock that God made called Cheyenne Mountain, and let's make it into this underground facility because it's solid granite. And we're gonna carve out of that our, our place of safety from nuclear attack for us and for Canada. And then that place becomes NORAD. You guys have heard of NORAD, North American Aerospace Defense Command, where if nuclear bombs are raining down on the US, the most important people and the most important things will be there. In the Rocky Mountains, Cheyenne Mountain, and NORAD. Because we know that the stuff that God makes as a rock and a refuge is a whole lot better than what we could make. I mean, even whatever it might be, the Pentagon or any sort of thing, and this actually does speak to spiritual nature, right? Your rock, your place of refuge, you can try to make one for yourself, but it's not gonna withstand what's gonna be thrown at it. There is no rock but God. There are others that may look like rocks, but they're not. They don't have the same qualities and characteristics. So the Lord is a rock. Having God as a rock and the only rock in the universe, it only goes so far unless he is also your refuge. And let me explain what I mean there. Uh, it was two or three weeks ago when I, I preached on a previous psalm, and we looked at this word, this word refuge, this Hebrew word chasa. In modern Hebrew, the word chasa means lettuce, right? And what is that? That's, that's strange, right? What does refuge have to do with lettuce? And we talked about how lettuce, kind of on the inside, the most delicate portions of the leaves, it kind of enwrap, enwraps the, the small stuff on the inside. And the stuff on the outside, it gets dirty, it takes a beating, like the bugs eat it and everything, but all the layers act to form one function to protect the inside core. Lettuce is a picture of refuge. That's what it is. Most of the time when this is used, it's used as a verb. In him I take refuge. In him I refuge. In order to make use of the Lord as a rock, you must take refuge in the rock. It does no good to stand outside the mountain and gaze at the mountain and go, what a glorious mountain, what a wonderful rock, and then not flee to it. God is of no use to you as a rock unless you're willing to flee 
to him, to find yourself enwrapped in him, protected by him. You must run to him and hide in him. Because both of these things in the psalm are working both offensively and defensively. First, we have defensively, right? When God is your rock, it's God's defensive posture. We, we, we see that with NORAD. The purpose of NORAD is to protect from outside aggression. That's it. That's what building your, your base in a granite mountain is for. So God is a rock, is a cleft in a mountain. It is a defense from whatever may be after you, your idols, your sin, death. He is that defense. But when God is your refuge, it's actually God's offensive posture. Let me, let me show you that. Look at verses three through five with me. It says this. It says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. So notice the language here and kind of what, what David is saying. He says, I see God the rock. I flee to him for refuge. He answers me and he takes an action to save me. And then it's followed by verses four and five. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. You can, you can read that and go, whether it's 10 days after this was written or you know, 4,000 years, you read this and you go, yeah, they did encompass you, David, but you're not encompassed anymore. The torrents of destruction did assail you you're not assailed anymore. You're not entangled by the cords of Sheol. You're not confronted by the snares of death anymore because of what you said in the previous verse, you call upon the Lord and you are saved. That God has acted as your refuge. And if you look at the subject in verses four and five, or the subject of what he's dealing with, as we read it from the message just a little bit ago. Death, destruction, hell, death. These things were at David's throat. How does he get out of it? God himself does battle against death and hell. David takes up a defensive position and God as his rock and God as his refuge goes out into battle for David against not merely Saul, but sin and death and hell. Where else do we see that but in Christ Jesus? When you and I we're in this world without hope. And sin and death were toppling every one of us, toppling 
toppling Adam, toppling Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and on down, toppling governments and civilizations and cultures. What is the solution to an enemy who cannot be defeated and who to this point in history has not been defeated? To send a warrior who himself is the refuge for his people, to send a warrior who can put to death, death and hell. And he doesn't do it from the comfort of heaven. He doesn't do it from the war room. This general rides out into battle himself at the front of the battle because the only way that this is gonna be won is if the general goes out and doesn't defeat it with a mighty sword, but is at the front of the line and lays down his life. That's the way that it happens. The only way that you and I win, and ultimately the only reason that David won, was because Christ was and is a rock and a refuge who sought out the destruction of our enemies. The entire Psalm, and as a matter of fact, all of the Psalms are about Christ. But if you look at the last few verses with me, it really brings it home. It says, for this I will praise you, O Lord among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Christ is the root of David, the shining morning star. He is the king. This is the king that David was looking forward to, the king that was promised, the king over all the nations. Friends, our, our Lord, our Christ, is a rock in a refuge if you would but run to him and hide in him. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks this morning for a reminder from the Psalms that this Psalm really and truly written some 4,000 years ago in a different language altogether is still able to speak to us today. May the truth of it go deeply into our hearts and help us to live out of that in such a way that your gospel rings true in our lives, that the application of it is true. And now, as we, um, as we give our tithes and our offerings, make us a generous people. Help us to let go and, and to trust you. And we ask that your kingdom would be built by men and women preaching the gospel and that you might use our money toward that. Through Christ we pray, amen.